Last week we talked about Hebrews chapter 5 and about growing up, right? We need to grow up. And as I told you, and I hope if you pondered it at all this week, and as I've said before, sometimes I can't remember what I preached last Sunday, so if you didn't remember, that's okay, okay? But I hope that you do have thought about it a little bit, and I, thought, I hope it was an encouragement to you because we're going to continue it a little bit today because what the writer or the preacher in Hebrews, male or female, I don't know, whoever it was, they then go, okay, i got to set you up here for these next few chapters. They're not calling it chapters at the time, obviously, but if I don't get this established, you're not going to grasp the rest of it. So that's what we were starting to do last week, starting to build that foundation about what he really wants to tell us. But Hebrews chapter 6 is where we're going to go today and almost, almost skip this. And I'm probably going to oversimplify these passages of Scripture today for some of your liking. It uh, depends on your, your, your kind of tribe theo- theologically where you land today. If I'm going to say deep, uh, dig in deep enough, some of you I'm going to disturb you, you know, as they say. So we'll see. But some of you I think is going to be an assurance to you. So we'll see where this goes today, but in Hebrews chapter 6, and it's a passage that has puzzled many people as they, read, as they read the word, because it almost feels like it's contradicting some of the other passages you read. But that often happens in Scripture, right? You read something here, and you go, okay, I got that. Then you read it over here and go, wait, whoa, whoa. And so often it's about context. Is so often about, well, it's all of it. It's not another coin. It's just the flip side of the same coin. Okay, it's not another coin. And so I hope today as we read this, and I'll, I'll say this up front, it's, again, like I said, it's not an exhausted study on this particular topic. And if you want to do an unbelievable deep dive into this topic, Dr. Dan would have to find the thursologies and some of the things you've taught on on this, but Dr. Dan does a phenomenal job talking about this specific subject that we'll talk about today. So I am going to give it my best. Hebrews chapter 6, 1 through 12. Here we go. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ. Again, that's what he was challenging last week, right? Okay, we need to get these established, but we've got to move on. Got to move on. Be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. But it is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age, who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting Him to public disgrace. Land that drinks in the rain often falling on it, and and that produces a crop useful to to those for whom it is farmed receives the blessing of God. But the land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless, is in danger of being cursed in the end and will be burned. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, I like that. Even though I talk to you like this, you're not friends, right? We're just friends. We're just, 
just sitting across the table talking about, no, even though we speak like this, dear friends, we're convinced of better things in your case. The things that have to do with salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy. But to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit that what has been promised. In order to understand Hebrews chapter 6, I believe, well, first off, he says, let's, let's just take a review on the elementary things that we, you know, we're going to move past that. So he kind of gives a short list of those, and there's more deep dive that you could do there with each one of those, I'm sure. But one of the things we have to establish here, is he talking to people who are already saved? Is he talking to people who are Christians? This debate about this particular topic has been around for centuries. And man alive, people can take a position on that, and it is deep. And they take the stand as if almost to the point, if you don't believe one side or the other, you're not a believer to that extreme. And there's other things that fall out of that, some types of those theologies. But, but one of the things that is most important here is are these people, and he, I think he says it, you're enlightened, you've tasted the heavenly gift, you shared in the Holy Spirit. You tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the power of the coming age. You have experienced the goodness of God. You have experienced that. So what I want to establish up front is, to me, there is no debate that these people he's talking to are believers. Because there's a debate. There's no way to fall away, and we're going to talk about that today. There's no way to fall away. Now, somebody may have thought they were saved, and they find out later, oh, maybe I wasn't. But this writer of Hebrews, again, he's giving warnings. He's saying you should be grown up by now. You're still on milk. You should be on meat. You should have been training yourself. You should have been doing these things. You should have taken the initiative to train yourself. Don't wait for somebody else to do it for you. Take the initiative. You should already be here. But you're not, but I'm going to tell you why I'm urging you on. Because I don't want you to be lazy. Miss out. I don't think the writer is trying to frighten people. And he's not doing an invitation at the end of the service. He's, you know, where he's just goes, he's got people revved up. He's got their emotions. He's got them exposed to where they're all open. And now he's going to drive. I think he genuinely is concerned. 
In short, the question today that I want to address, can a person lose their salvation? And my answer to that is no. I'll clarify my no. Can they fall away? Apostasy? The public abandonment of your religious faith? Can that happen? Now again, when we get in this argument, if you will, or discussion, I don't even see it as an argument, but a discussion with our fellow believers who believe that you cannot. I was raised, I was born in the South, became a Christian in the South. I was saved in the Baptist church and eventually ended up in the Nazarene church. But one of the things that in the South, I don't hear it as much out here, because out here you'll hear more Reformed theology, really not Southern Baptist, but there... You know, in the South is, I ain't giving up my once saved, always saved. That's the phrase. I ain't giving that up. Man, I'll come to your church, but I ain't giving that up. I go, man, I ain't asking you to give it up. We didn't even brought, you brought it up. I didn't bring it up. But man, over and over. And there are things that I believe... With all my heart, and Hebrew, I mean, Romans 14, 1 says there are disputable matters. There are matters that are not cornerstone to us agreeing together. Some of the things, obviously, that are cornerstones, of course, is there's one God reveals himself in Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's a cornerstone. I have to agree with you on that. Jesus is the Son of God. He died on the cross, and he rose on the third day. Done. He is the only way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through him. Done. This is the word of God. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. Salvation is, this is important, salvation is by faith alone. Saved not by works, but by grace. Period. Do not, if you, I want you to hear the things I'm speaking as do not hear it. Works. Because that is not what we teach here. A man is on his own, is on his own, and cannot respond to God without God drawing him. I can't decide to get saved. Man, you just need to decide to get saved. You can't. Unless the Spirit draws you, and he will. But you just can't decide this Sunday, hey, I'm going to go get saved at church today. You can't do that the way we teach it and the way I believe it. It is the Spirit opens you up. The Spirit draws you. Emotion can get you there to make a decision. Thursday night church camp high can get you there to make a decision. Anybody ever been there? I'm not saying it's not wrong to try and sometimes try to pray that prayer, but sometimes I believe it's the emotion. Your friends went down. Those kind of things happen. Hey, everybody's going, I don't want to be left out. 
there are some disputable things, and again, I think today is one of those things for us, and I'll clarify that. But the writer compares two pieces of land, right? One that rain falls on, and the other one is where it produces a crop, and it grows, and it's useful. Then the other one where the thorns and the thistles grow up, and it's not useful, and apparent, at some point, it's going to be tossed out and burned. And it makes me think of Matthew 13, 22, where talking about the parable of the sower, one of my favorite passages of Scripture to preach on. I've, I've preached a series on it here way back in the day, and I call them dirt number one, dirt number two, dirt number three. Dirt number three is where the thorns and the thistles grow. Good seed, but the thorns and the thistles. It's the cares of this world. This is the one that I worry about in my own life more than any other thing. When I say worry, I'm just, when I say worry, I mean it's in front of my mind. I want to be very conscious of this. That the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of wealth come along and choke out. goes on to say that it is impossible that if a person falls away to be brought back. You go, whoa. I was in the church of the Nazarene. I grew up, I got resaved over and over. Every Sunday I went down to the altar and got resaved. Because I messed up so bad this week I came back and got resaved. And I got resaved again. I got resaved again. What do you mean? That doesn't So what is that unpardonable? What is that line that you step across? We're crucifying Christ. And we get this picture. I mean, sometimes we just skip over that and go, oh, okay. No, get this picture. That you individually... I won't call out any names here. But you, because of who he's talking about right here, if you fell into this, you're crucifying Christ all over again. Now get that picture. Let that soak in just for a moment. By your unwillingness, what I believe ultimately what the unpardonable sin you would say here is, is you refuse to repent, you refuse to confess, you refuse to be obedient, you refuse, he's come after you over and over. And I believe this, and again, I've said this before when I came to know Christ in 1986, that I do believe, and again, there's no way to know it, so it's hard to say something and then go, oh, you can prove that. But I do believe that was my last chance at 26 years old to come to Christ. I genuinely believe because I had hardened myself so much. I had rejected him so much up to that point. He came to me at 16. He came to me again. Well, he was coming all along. But at 26, I recognized it as clear as I did at 16. But I had a choice. And that's part of the whole debate, right? We're going to talk about here. This is part of the debate. 
did I really have a choice? That's kind of the debate. Did I have a choice at 16 when the Spirit came and I knew it was real and he was wooing me? Did I have a choice to go a decade and harden my heart and become indifferent? At 26, when, when I felt the Holy Spirit coming, did I have a choice? That's the debate. That's the question. John Calvin to James Arminius to John Wesley, and many of you here don't know who any of those are, and that's okay. Let me say this. You don't need to know any John to accept Jesus as your personal Savior. You don't need to know any other set of theologies except that Jesus Christ died on that cross. That's where I was. It changed my life. It transformed my life. Now, then you start kind of putting some pieces together. If I'm going to go this way and I'm going to try to stay on the, the straight and narrow, if you will, I need, to have a, I need to kind of get some guardrails and kind of help. Well, that's where you kind of start getting into the other stuff. But I just want to tell you, it doesn't matter if you don't know any of those people. Ever. But the question comes down to, in this debate... Does a man play any role in the decision of his eternal destiny? That is the question. And in this valley, you can go to churches where they would say, well, yeah, kind of, but not really. Where you answer that question right there is really where you land in the theological camp in so many ways about this particular topic. I love what Peter Lassiter says. He says, there's no scripture passages that explicitly states that a man can be saved, then lose their salvation and go to hell. And to be fair, neither is there a passage that says so many words that a person who has been saved and can never, under any circumstance, lose that salvation. And the camps we fall under, and I want to say this, if I can, briefly, because man alive, this is a whole, this is, this is series on top of series, and Dr. Dan does a great job. And often this camps, if you fall into this, and again, when I was in the Baptist church, and just, and I love the Baptist church, still do to this day, so don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. I didn't know if we were Calvinist. I didn't know if we were Wesleyan. I didn't know if we were Reformed. I didn't, I, I didn't know, and still to this day, I'm not sure most people who attend there don't know either. That's just my opinion. Most Baptist churches kind of. There's different reasons why the once saved, always saved. And it's not always basic, based on the tulip, which I'm going to talk about here in just a second. Don't put it up yet. They're not, it's not always based on that. They, they base it more on adoption. And once you're adopted, you can't be unadopted. Okay? There's some, okay. But for this discussion, I do want to talk more along the line of Calvinism versus, if you will, Versus, I hate to almost use that phrase, but you know what I'm saying in this sense. Versus our, our Wesleyan, Arminian, Arminius thought. 
Because this is where, I think when we talk about this subject, we, we get a little not really sure where we are. And again, many of you may be more versed in this than I am. But let's put the tulip up there real quick. And it's called the tulip. Many of you know, have seen this before. I don't know if we have that. Do we have that? Or did I, I hope I sent that. No, not that one. Yeah, there you go. And kind of walk through it here. And total depravity would be the T-U-L-I-P. Any of you have never seen it before. Most of you in here have, or many of you have. But the total depravity, and that is, is that man is so fallen. Man is so deeply fallen. There is nothing he can do, if you will, and there's, that, that he can come to God. And, and with Calvin and Wesley, would probably agree for the most part on that. But, but well, the only part that I would say would be a little caveat to that is, is that we believe there's enough if you will, good, I don't know if that's the right word, that we can respond to God, that we have a choice. When that prevenient grace, that grace that goes before salvation, anybody know what I'm talking about here? Anybody know what it's like to be wooed by the Holy Spirit? You know it. You know it beforehand. You're not even sure what's happening. I mean, I'm going to the softball field, and this is weird feeling. I keep thinking about God. I, I, I go to Alumax and working on, the, you know, running my meal, and, and I'm thinking about God. I, I, it's this wooing. I can't get rid of it. I want to get rid of it, but I can't. Thank goodness I did. If you've ever prayed, and I want you to be careful, if you've ever prayed for the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit to quit bugging you, you may be talking in here. I'm talking about that. You do one thing for me, don't be praying that. Don't be asking that. As miserable as it can be, I know that feeling. Yes, he comes to convict. He comes to comfort. He comes to bring us back. He comes to remind us what's already been said. Don't try to harden that, friend. Unconditional election. I'm going to tie two of them, to, you know, uh, tie a couple of them together here with limited atonement. I'm going to just tie them together. They all go together. I shouldn't say it the right way, but I shouldn't say it the way I just said it. But unconditional election and limited atonement basically means, from a Calvinist standpoint, is that it was predetermined before time. Those who would be elect, those who would be saved, and those who would, would be sent to hell before time. And it's limited on how many that'll be. Obviously, if you're doing it that way, if, you, if, you, if that's the way in their scripture, you could look at, and I'm not, I, I, I can give you a bunch, of, a bunch of scripture that would support that. And it's unconditional. In other words, it goes back tying into three, and number four, irresistible grace. So if, so if you're chosen before time, and it's only limited to a certain people, and you're in that number, the unconditional elected, if you're already in that number, and the grace comes to you, you can't help but accept it. There's nothing you can do to stop it. You're always going to come to it. That's the reason why I think John Calvin, again, I'm, I, he and I never really, 
I haven't done a deep, deep dive, but I know enough about it. When he would preach in Geneva, and he would preach this powerful sermon, and people would not come to the Lord, he, in his mind, I believe he had to believe, surely these people were not elect because why? It's irresistible. What God has to offer is irresistible. How could you not come to it? We believe there's conditional election. We believe there's unlimited atonement. Please put that Timothy verse up for me. You got it? This is good and pleases our Savior who wants all people to be saved and come to to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to all at the proper time. All, we believe all, everybody has, everybody has the opportunity to come to know Jesus as their Savior. Everybody. Even the people you dislike. Even the people who annoy you the most. Put the tulip back up if you would mind. A Wesley perspective on irresistible grace would be this. I'm oversimplifying it. Wesley would, almost like a picture, if he'd have, if he'd have preached to me at 23 years old, if you'd have seen me at 23 years old, I wouldn't look much different than when I was 27. But my heart was hardened at 23. And if you go down the line, it's irresistible. And you go, there's no sense in me coming back to him preaching. But Wesley would have said, I'm going to come back next year. I'm going to come back the next year. I'm going to come back the next year. Because I believe this Holy Spirit goes before us and woos. Oh, I look basically the same guy at 23 and 27. But at 27, the Spirit had opened me up. 27, the Spirit was wooing me. At 27, I was, I was sensing it. I was feeling it. Whatever the right word is. I kept coming back. God loves you. He's on your side. He's coming after you. He's relentless. Perseverance of the saints. Perseverance of the saints makes sense 100% if unconditional election and limited atonement, meaning you were always saved. You didn't have any choice. You were always going to be saved. So it's perseverance of the saints. There is no way you cannot be saved. Because you were persevered because you were always saved, if you will. From the beginning of time, you were always saved. Church of Nazarene, we believe in predestination. You go, whoa, 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 I, you know, that's predestined to be. We just don't believe in, pre, in double barrel predestination. Okay? We believe we've been predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. 
okay? We believe when the scripture talks about predestination, it's not about who, but it's about what. What is he predestinating to us? It's not who and where, it's what. We've been predestined since the beginning of time to be conformed to the image of God. Does he foreknow? Well, since he's coming back through time, he can go back and forth through time from eternity end to eternity beginning. I would guess he might know. But he still gives a choice. I tell people, I believe my God's so big, he can deal with my stupidity. He didn't have to know all of it, even though he probably does know all of it. I don't know how that works in God's economy. Did he foreknow that I was going to? Well, I'm sure not going to tell you he didn't. But predestined as a second barrel, can a person lose their salvation? Well, let's talk about the word lose. there's two different thoughts on losing. One is separated by location, not relationship. The other one is a deliberate decision to abandon. Let me give you an illustration here. The difference between can a person be lost or lose their salvation, for instance, I could be at Disneyland. You probably won't ever catch me there, but you might, okay? I could be at Disneyland and for some reason, I go to the bathroom over here. I thought everybody was over there. And let's say we don't have cell phones. Love that, right? Uh, let's say there's no service. And let's say all of a sudden, this massive place, I am now lost from my family. I've lost my family. For hours upon hours, I used to take students to Six Flags on a Friday night. We used to, those who've done that in my youth group, we'd take them on Friday night in, in, in September sometime. And all just Nazareth, the Point Loma Nazareth University would rent out Magic Mountain. What is it, Magic Mountain? Is that right? Rent out the whole Magic Mountain thing, and it would just be Nazarene teenagers there and adults. Guess what? You, in fact, before they had cell phones, you don't want to lose a teenager there. You don't know how to find it. How do you find them? We eventually brought all of them home, but it took a while. But can you imagine being there and you're separated from your family so somebody might say to you, well, you lost your family. I'm going to use a man in this illustration. Illustration number two. Man's married to someone for years upon years, decades upon decades to his wife. They have a tremendous marriage, but somewhere along the way somebody else catches his eye. And over time, over time, over time, he ends up leaving his wife and marries the other. And you could say in the process of that, his family gets pretty upset. His kids get pretty upset. And you could say he lost his family. He didn't lose his family. He knows where they are. He made a conscious decision to walk away from his family. One is time and a separation, but not of relationship. Separation of space, but not relationship. The other one is a series of time, over time, over time, over time, of a decision to abandon. 
and not willing to go back. Series of choices. We believe that human beings were made morally responsible. You are responsible for your behavior. We believe that people that have possession of their faith may fall from grace. They may fall away. The deliberate abandonment of their faith. Lest they repent they are lost forever. I believe it's rare. I believe if you're wondering today if you've done the unpardonable sin, you're in good shape. Because you're still worried about it. Okay? Make sure you hear that from me. I know for some of you today, you're thinking about this, going, man, I've had a bad, I've had a bad year. And for some, they would look at that concept. Let's say you've just had a bad year of blunders, mistakes, rejection of the Holy Spirit prompting you. You still feel it. You still, and, you, and over time, for some, they might say, well, over a while, you've had a bad sin year. For some, they would say, maybe you never were really saved. Okay? My question to that is, so if you never really know when you are saved, if you're going from that once saved, always saved, how will you ever know? Well, you won't really know till Judgment Day, whether you ever really were. That, doesn't, that seems like eternal insecurity to me. But let's say you've had kind of a bad sin year, okay, and you've done some things, and you've got blunders, and you, you know the Holy Spirit's working on you. You're saved. You know that. You, well, you're trying to work through that. Let me tell you, if the Holy Spirit's still drawing you, the Holy Spirit's still awakening, you're fine, except you need to get this straightened out. That's what the whole writer of Hebrews is talking about in 5 and 6. You've got to get this straightened out because you're in danger. And yes, we as Nazarenes believe that a person can sin and still be. We're not having to get resaved. We never taught that you got resaved over and over. It's never been a part of us. Just want you to know that's never been a part of us. You don't get saved over and over. Just come and repent. Get yourself up and start going. Got things to do. Got a full life to live. Life abundantly. That's what he called us to. The Nazarenes believe in backsliding? My good mentor, one of my mentors, Dr. Gene Fuller, said, he said, we not only believe in backsliding, we practice it. <laughs> He's right about that. <laughs> and backsliding is, you know, just reverting to past behavior. That was not good. He didn't want us to stay there, man. I love what the writer of Hebrews says here. He doesn't believe they're falling away. I don't think that's what he's saying here. He doesn't apologize for warning them. He just says, I'm confident 
there are better things in store in your case. I want to look at you today and just tell you, I think there's better things in store for you. I don't know how you ended up here this morning or what you're working on or what you're working through. But there are better things in store for you. You People ask me, you know, why do you church the Nazarene? But they said, you know, because, again, back in the South, that was really a question, you know. And for me, again, like I said earlier, I, I didn't... I didn't know who John Calvin, John Wesley, even when I changed over the church of the Nazarene from the Baptist church, I really didn't know, honestly, at that point. I wasn't in my studies. I maybe heard their names. I just didn't know who they were. But that's where the reason I ended up in the church of the Nazarene is because the scripture lined up with where I was, what the God was revealing to me, the scripture made sense to me. That's why I ended up there. And then I found out about John Wesley and his radical optimism. That we can have a salvation that runs more than hot or cold or makes us feel guilty most of the time or just barely gets us into heaven or barely keeps us out of hell. But no, a salvation that takes us back to our primitive health, why God designed us in the first place, living life to the full, where there's no ceiling on what God can do in a person's life. I love that. I love that. I want that. I love the way that Wesley... Right, and there's a couple of quotes I want to, and I love the way he went about it, even on the agree to disagree on the disputables, because, because we don't have to be disunified because of that. Because controversy in itself is not, a necess- it's not, it's not necessarily an evil thing. We just don't agree on this. But I love a couple of quotes here I want to say real quick. But Wesley said, those who belong to other communions, and who had other emphasis. He said, I I work with those. That was not a theological compromise on on my part, but a rare ability to segregate the essential from the non-essential elements in his faith. A rare ability to go, that doesn't matter, friend. I ain't going to get stuck on that. You can get stuck on it. And you can stay camped right there. We're going to let a woman preach up front right over men and women. Right? I'm just going to tell you, you can have a problem with that. You can have a problem with that. We ain't going to worry about it. We ain't worried about it. I love his second quote here. This, this is from, this is, the first one was just a summary, but the second one is a quote. It says, God has given no right to anyone to lord it over the conscience of his brethren. He pled, rather, though we cannot think alike, may we not love alike, may we not be of one heart, though we are not of one opinion. He announced, if thine heart is as my heart, if, you, if thou lovest God and all mankind, I ask no more, give me thine hand. That's why I want to be a part of the Church of the Nazarene and that heritage. Now, there are some essentials we're going to have to agree on. We already talked about those up front. But there are some other ones. I ain't going to worry about it. Now, you may think that I'm not a Christian because of the way I believe. I'm pretty comfortable. Here's my deal. It's the last thing of why I'm a Nazarene in this sense, or a Wesleyan. I just like my odds. I just like my odds. Let's say you're right. Let's say if you're a Calvinist five point and you're right on money, either I have already pre-selected or not pre-elected, I didn't have any choice, right? But if I have a choice, I've 
accepted this Savior, and I don't worry about waiting till the last day on Judgment Day or whether I had a bad sin year and I wasn't saved and I fell away or maybe I never really was saved. No, I know I'm saved because of my personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And yes, I know I bungle alone and I stumble and I do all those other things, but I'll tell you this, it's the Spirit drawing me, always draws me back, always draws me back. I don't want to wait till Judgment Day to figure this out. So my odds are if, if Calvinists are right, and I'm elected, I'm in. And if I wasn't, it didn't matter. If I fake being a Christian the whole time and love my wife and I love my children, I try to be in front of you guys and try to live an honorable life, and I find out at the end I got cast to hell, I wouldn't change my life. I wouldn't become, a, I wouldn't become some kind of, you know, crime boss or anything, okay, just because I'm going, okay, now that I know I'm going to hell, I'm going to have fun here. You know what I'm saying? I wouldn't change it. What I love about it is None of us are ever saved by John Calvin or John Wesley. His name is Jesus. Just so you know, no man walks away from him naked. So many people come to church and they hear about Jesus and they want to walk away going, you know what, I didn't really make a decision today. Like my Baptist story I heard years ago, they're at Luby's cafeteria in line. You know what that is. <laughs> And somebody asked the Baptist pastor, and this is back when I was in the Baptist church, said, Pastor, how many decisions were made today? Said, 250. 250 people decided not to do anything. <laughs> Reality is, that's not true. The cross doesn't allow you to be neutral. Don't walk away neutral. If you walk away unscathed Sunday after Sunday or when you're in the Word and you walk away, you don't want that. You don't want that. I'm going to ask the band to come up as we close this morning. Because either way you land on this whole thing today, I hope and pray the big question you walk away with today, as we always, what do I do with Jesus? What do I do with God? I hope and pray this is an everyday occurrence for you, that it is so, so real to you, so, I don't even know what the word is, almost tangible. That even if you're walking the wrong way, Even if you are, just do not be praying, leave me alone. We're going to read more in Hebrews. He keeps coming back going, urge him on, urge him on, urge him on, call him out, urge him on. That's what we're supposed to be doing.
Sometimes he uses people to tap you on the shoulder. So often, it is that internal, deep soul conversation. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me. I'm going to pray for us. We're going to close in a song. I do hope today praying this morning because I feel like in my, my heart I'm, I'm, I'm as Wesley, man, I can work with anybody. Even if they don't even really believe I'm a believer in some ways because of what we believe. I'm okay with that. I'm secure in who I am in Him. But I also didn't want today you to walk away that I was making light of another theology. That is not true either. Because I'm back to Peter Lassiter. There's scriptures on both sides. Who am I? But I wanted to tell you why I landed here, where I am. I believe there's a good reason for that. And I am with the writer of Hebrews. Even though we've given the warning, we do not apologize. We see more for you. We see more for you. Amen. So as we sing today, as we often do here, do you feel this is the time to come around these altars? Say, Lord, it's been too long. I know you're still pulling on me. I'm not worried about my salvation. That's not even, but, but I want to live into the fullness. That's what I want. I don't want to live below my potential. But there's no, you believe there's no ceiling on what God can do in your life. So Lord, I pray now over this group of folks here this morning that we love, that we're for, that we believe that we've got great things to do with Lord, sometimes there are things that cap us, that hold us back. So, Lord, I pray today, if in this few minutes here, if there is something that someone needs to lay down, they will just come today, publicly, not disgracing you, but honoring you. I pray this for your glory.